Welcome everyone to the Nerd Journey Podcast, episode number 133. We're joining you every week to talk IT career progression and bring you the advice we wish we'd been given earlier in our careers. I'm your host, John White, at vjourneyman on Twitter, joined by my co-host, Nick Cordy, at networknerd underscore. Hey, Nick, how's it going? Hey, John, I'm doing great. We are both pre-sales technical engineers with backgrounds in IT operations. We hope our career discussions will be vendor neutral, relevant across disciplines, and remain timeless. If you're enjoying our content, please drop us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you subscribe. And if you want to get in touch with us, tweet or DM at Nerd Journey. Ultimately, we're just two nerds on a journey. A journey to virtual enlightenment. So let's take a trip. Awesome, Nick. Hey, so uh, this week we have the first part of a conversation we did with Donovan Farrow. And I should say, uh, I think I had a last minute conflict. So it's not like we had the conversation. You had the conversation. But that's all right, man. Life happens. (laughs) Life does happen and did. Uh, listeners, you might have heard of Donovan or maybe the firm that he founded, uh, Alias, uh, formerly Alias Forensics, or maybe even uh, have listened to the podcast they put out, Secure AF Podcast. Really uh, cool stuff. Just was uh, sampling some of their episodes uh, a little bit earlier. Very, very helpful stuff. It's, it's you know, immediately frontline relevant. I think we're going to talk to him about the kind of career and security that he's had, like how he got started and the journey that he's been on so far, especially the the path to the starting alias. He's one of those folks who kind of started as a technical generalist, like many of us do in the industry and sort of gets, I won't say forced, but gets opportunities to get more and more expertise in that cybersecurity arena as you hear the story unfold. I actually really enjoyed hearing about it. I had never heard those stories, even though I had talked to Donovan before at a Dallas-Fort Worth Spice Corps event. So pretty good stuff. Awesome. So without further delay, let's get into part one of our conversation with Donovan Farrell. Donovan Farrow, thanks for joining us on The Nerd Journey. Hey, how's it going, Nick? Nick, appreciate you inviting me on. It's going to be a good conversation. So Donovan actually came and spoke at a Dallas-Fort Worth Spice Corps meeting quite a while ago, and uh, I think he'll have a very interesting career perspective because we haven't heard, heard a story like his on the show before. So Donovan, if you don't mind, tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do today. Okay, so I am the official CEO and founder of Alias, which is a cybersecurity and uh, digital forensic company based out of Oklahoma City. And we also have a branch in Las Colinas, uh, Dallas-Fort Worth area. We do a lot of work in the, let's say, middle uh, United States. And we kind of help, you know, companies short and sweet. We do pen testing. We do digital forensics. We do um, cybersecurity assessments. We do audits. We do red team testing, which means we physically break into companies like we have a building. Can you break into the doors? Um, We do social engineering means I call you on the phone and you give me your bank account because I'm too cool. And there's a baby in the background crying and I tricked you into giving me your bank account. So thank you for that. Um, We also do all the cool emails where you think you want want a free iPad or other new iPhone 12, even though you didn't. So I can get that and get your iPhone credentials. Um, we do a lot of that. We do for some big, big boys. I can't even talk about it. 
Um, one of the biggest companies, kind of let you know, Scope, we do uh, companies as small as 12 people. And the largest company we have is $120 billion. So we have a very large scope. Wow. Yeah. Now, how big is your company in terms of number of employees, if you don't mind sharing? Yeah, so we have 12 employees. Um, it's a little different than a traditional uh, information security, cybersecurity company. Um, we, keep, we compete with a lot of uh, bigger companies. I think our biggest uh, comp- competition, just to fill it out there, is Optiv. And we're coming for you, Optiv, just heads up. But, you know, they're a $140 million company a year. Uh, we're not that. We have, you know, around 11 to 12 employees, but we kind of compete. People like to call us the boutique. It's like kind of also a big, big competitive rise, which I'm happy to say is we beat ENY and AT&T out of a lot of cybersecurity projects um, because a lot of people want that attention. They need that high touch for cybersecurity and they don't want to go to a big company and just be kind of in the cog and not have a, a name for themselves and have that special protection that they really are asking for. Not so much the service, but that high attention detail. Got it. And you are actually the founder of this company. So uh, what I want to do, if we can, let's go in reverse order. So let's back up to the early days. I think our listeners would appreciate a little bit about how you got into this industry. Uh, we've not had someone on the show who got into the security industry. From what I saw, it looked like you started working the help desk at an insurance firm. So I'm curious about how you got into IT and why you wanted to do that. Yeah, so, so um, I'll, I'll give you the real story. No one actually knows this, so I'm, I'm, I'm disclosing it here. Only, only like me and a few other people over some beers have had this conversation. So um, back in the day, like way when I was in high school, I was the worst troublemaker ever. Honestly, I mean, I, honestly, school for me, again, everyone does college and school. That's wonderful. Um, it was terrible for me. I hated it. I thought it was a waste of time. I used to always get in trouble. But you know what? I could fix computers. So my teachers would come in and be like, you know what, Donovan? I'm, I'm, I don't need this today. I'm sick. Of, I'm sick of you questioning me because I would always question, why do we need to learn this? You know, I, I think it's a waste of time. And I would always debate the teachers forever. So they just started sending me to the computer lab. So I just started fixing computers there. And that's kind of where I spent like almost my entire high school career. I don't know how I passed college. Somehow I, or high school, I'm, I, I passed with a 3.0. Very happy for that. Have no idea. And then from there, I kind of worked at a small computer lab. I worked at a uh, one of the first, I would say, ISPs, like talk and dial up. It's like, you see the green, you see the blue E? Click on that. This is called the internet. And you can go to www.yahoo.com and you can type in searches or AOL. And, and you know, kind of from there, I uh, pivoted to the, moved to the big city, big city of Oklahoma City. You know, I, I was at a town of 7,000. So it was, it, was a, it was a big deal. Um, I should say uh, before that, I, won, I went to Votech. And I won some scholarships. Um, I got like third in district competition for computer repair and stuff like that just because I, I loved it. I did it. And for me, I loved it because I used, I used to work for my grandfather. I did construction. My first computer I built, I mowed lawns, like no joke. So I mowed lawns and I had this big book that was like, like you know, like eight inches tall. It was like how to build a computer. And I mowed lawns and I'd, get, I'd buy parts and I was like, okay, I'd power it on and I'd say, oh, it's beeping. Okay, that means a memory. So I put in memory. I was like, okay, now it doesn't do the beeping. And that's actually how I built my first computer. I should kind of mention that. People love that story. Um, really came from mowing lawns to making computers. You didn't build the lawnmower, right? I, I didn't, but it, but I would have. Like, I, okay. was the guy, I was the kid who broke everything. Like, 
that's a cool clock. And I would take it apart and I would just like, that's cool. And I wouldn't put it back together. (laughs) I can just see these lawnmower blades that have formed a clock on your wall now. (laughs) That's right. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. It was was very, it was a good reminder too. So it was, um, it was was a different, uh, different, different time for sure. But kind of went from there and worked and I got awarded some at a Western Farmers Electric Co-Opter, which I don't have on there, but I wanted a scholarship there and it was cool did computer repair. So I was actually working for a corporation by the time I was 18. You know, people had degrees. I, ne- I didn't have a degree till much, much, much later. And then from there, I went to um, a insurance company and uh, it was, it was, it was good. It was good. I, I learned a lot. And that's kind of how I got started. Um, and even, even when I was at the, the insurance company, I got kind of bored. The job was super easy. I was running Novell four and five. You guys are welcome for you old people that are listening to me right now. Um, you guys remember that it was hilarious. And I started doing like just learning about web development. Like I made like a web app server on my box and my boss wasn't super happy. Um, you know, and kind of going through that being like, uh, even today people call me a gunslinger and pretty much no one knows. I appreciate the the candid interview. Um, I actually got fired from that job, uh, because, um, because I thought my boss was trash and, and we didn't agree on a lot. I made this document that said top 10 things on how to uh, solve problems. And then he told his boss that he made it. And then me coming from a very, um, we'll say you, you, you took care of business, maybe in a more physical reactionary as opposed to a business reactionary. Um, and I, I let him know that it's just not, I'm not from the city, but I will correct you from where I'm from. And then, and then he said, here's your box of stuff. And then I threw my box of stuff right in his face. And I said, if I see you on the street, I'm going to give you the biggest aggressive hug. It's not what I said I could ever see in my life. And that, that's how my career kicked off, really. It, it worked, actually worked out great as my career start to Oklahoma City. <laughs> oh, wow. Welcome to Oklahoma City, man. Welcome to Oklahoma City. <laughs> Been there several times. Yeah. Let me ask you this. What was the perception from your teammates at that job with you coming in without a degree, but with a good deal of experience and very good skills? So at first, everyone was actually really upset. Um, they were really upset that I didn't have any certifications or degrees. Uh, I quickly was able to move from mid to senior. And I actually became a lead of that team because um, I wanted everyone to know what I knew and learning as going through the through the business that people learned that, man, Donovan actually loves this. It's not just a job for him. And I didn't I never, ever crushed anyone's spirit. If they wanted to learn, I taught them and I never got any on it to, or in trouble for anyone or made any what back in especially back in that time a lot of old ice old school it people made people feel stupid they used to say this is my server this is my product and if you didn't know they would scoff at you and make you feel stupid that was kind of like a turning point for the industry um i never wanted people to feel stupid because a lot of people made me feel stupid and anytime someone had an issue or they, they didn't solve it we solved that together and they had naturally, I naturally progressed into from a medium to senior to lead for that company, which I got fired from, but just saying <laughs> my employees love me. Glad you're able to build a rapport with them. That sounds like a fantastic way to do it. Kind of supporting their journey and yeah. letting them eat from the buffet at their own rate. It, it was a good experience for sure. It was a good, good learning experience. It was, it was uh, again, I was like, you know, I was, I was 21 so you know what what do you expect right what goes through your mind at at the time that you were let go like how do you recover from that and what was your next move 
So, so this is kind of a weird um, thing. I actually got interviewed by a lot of companies, and it was funny because I actually did end up working at Chesapeake Energy later. But I actually, they interviewed me, and I told them that I didn't. I mean, they said, "Well, tell me about your past experience." I was like, "You know what? That help desk was probably the worst experience of my life, and I considered changing careers. <laughs> I didn't get the job then. It was kind of didn't work out. So I worked for a contract company, and me just being like a, a kind of a gunslinger." I don't even know. I don't know. It, it sounds terrible, but like I worked for a recruiting company and they said, Hey, Donovan, do you know exchange? I was like, yeah, of course I know the exchange of that you're talking about. They're like, we have a company that needs you to set one up. I'm like, Oh man, I got you. Like that's easy. I've done it like so many times. And they said, okay, well you get to be on site Monday. So I immediately run to Barnes and Noble, which for you, you know, younger folks is called a bookstore. And, and I, I ran there and I was reading through all the exchange reading about everything, the accounts, everything, and trying to get like profiles, mailboxes, you know, retention, all that stuff. And and I was able to go on site and fix it because they usually as a contract, they put you on site and they just shove you in a closet and be like, just do work. So I did that for um, a very large energy company. And then I had a total data migration for a bank I did. And then I did a firewall and server uh, like renewal for a uh, manufacturing company. I kind of worked this hodgepodge like um, uh, for it was a headhunter is what it was contractor. It was great for me. Um, it kind of sucks. I didn't know when I was getting money, but uh, you know, um, I did like, and I learned a lot because I had to. Um, I need to eat. I like to eat food. As do we all, sir. As do we all. Yeah, failure was was not an option. And and um and after I did that for a while, um I got hired on uh, another place called uh, Slumberger, and I'm kind of maybe jumping ahead, but uh, uh, it was, it's an oil field service company. And w- what I actually my role is, and no one knows this until see, this is all like like uh, no one knows because I don't let people know unless they ask, right? Insider information, you heard it here, folks. I was brought in to that company to actually learn the company and then move everyone out because that's what I was actually. I did that at uh, the insurance company. My number one goal was to learn all that information, gather it, make documentation, and push that to Canada, which I did, and everyone was super upset. And then I kind of did a lot of that, right? That's just, I mean, uh, I guess in nursing because my mom was a nurse, they called that scab. So I'd go in a company, learn everything, and I'd move it on to another group. Um, Slumberger was going to do that, and. Uh, and I was learning it and there was a lot of employees and I kind of felt bad, but you know, like, again, got to eat. And, uh, after that they said, Hey, you know what? This is not going to work. We're not going to move it out. We're not going to outsource it. This is a terrible idea. And then they offered me a full-time job, which I was very excited about. I was super pumped. It was, it was a real deal. I mean, this, at the time, this company had 71,000 employees. Um, I mean, their HQ was out of France and, uh, Houston and I'm 23 years old. Wow. Another, weird strange position to be put in yeah at any age really yeah it was it was it was good it's it's like my boss at the time and and i've, I've talked to him his name is kevin coma i've met up with him a few times and he, he won't take any claim to fame but um you know if he ever hears his podcast he gave me every opportunity and i never turned anything down but i was always successful so it was, it was, it was pretty special i learned a lot um one of my uh first forensic cases and uh if you guys can even go back to 20, 2004, what the, what, what is forensics? Like, you know, what are you talking about? My boss, um, he goes, Hey man, we got this forensic case, you know, um, I can't go into the details, but there's this person who says 
someone's out in the field and they're doing something else. And, you know, this guy's been with us forever. She's she's not here very long. We need to figure out what happened. I was like, I don't I don't know what you're talking about. What do you, what do you mean? What do you mean figure out what happened? He's like, it's called forensics. I was like, yeah, I have no idea what you're talking about. No clue. Get me the videotape. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and I was like, dude, I don't, I really don't know what you're talking about. He's like, well, you have the director of uh, HR for uh, Global coming into the office in a week, so figure it out. And I was like, okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> so uh, long story short, um, I was able to to basically it was like a boot, it was boot from CD, it was a boot from CD. Um, uh, forensics device, which which you do like it's called DD. If you guys are familiar, it's a Linux command DD. And it's back in 2004, this is pretty, I say, cutting edge, cutting edge more for the community. And uh, I was able to get it and verify what exactly happened. And the company was protected, and the appropriate person that was lying about the engagement was was let go. And that was when I first got introduced to digital forensics. When you were asked to do this, did you have access to all the right systems at that time to go and get what you needed? I did not. I, I mean, I mean, they were like, I, I grabbed his machine and I learned about a DD image and then I was able to kind of go through that through some Linux command. I wish I could remember what that CD was called. There's one that's kind of close, it's like Nopix, but it's not Nopix, but it, it's that old. Um, it's, it's a boot, one of the first modules for forensics. Um, back in 2004. I'm going to have to get that to you later. I have to look that up. That's interesting stuff. So after that first experience, you figured it out again. It sounds like a pattern. Uh, You're really good at figuring puzzles out and overcoming challenges that require learning quickly. What made that exciting or different than the other things you had done? Well, I'm going to say it hadn't ever, I mean, I never heard of it. So even me searching, you guys will love this. And even you guys go to Forensic Focus, which is one of the oldest like forensic forums. I'm I'm member um, like 854. So you go there and you see, I think there's like over 50,000, probably way more. I haven't been there in a minute. Um, there's another there's another guy that we, we chat with and I was arguing with him all the time. He's, he's pretty famous, but I'm not going to uh, talk about that. But yeah, so I was I was in one of the first thousands on that forum because it was so new. It was super new. And it was really foundational, um, which also kind of, you know, that also that opportunity opened into, um, you guys will love this. Um, you guys remember a McAfee EPO? Like, what is security? It's it's called antivirus and it's McAfee. And you have to understand what a SIG is and you got to download the signature and deploy. That was when, the, that was like really the first step of, of security. And when I really got exposed to that, and that was also there as well. Pretty, pretty mind blowing. RIP, uh, Mr. McAfee, by the way, but I digress. Yeah, that was some sad news for sure. Once you've been through this kind of experience with forensics, it sounds like you were very interested. Where does that kind of thing take you next? What can you do with that experience? If I'm someone who's had to do that, uh, let me, before I get you to answer it, what I have seen, and maybe you've seen something different is, at smaller companies, the IT administrator, systems administrator, somebody who's kind of a jack of all trades is the one that gets asked to do exactly what you just said. Yeah. They don't necessarily have a security person on staff, and it just naturally falls onto that jack of all trades to to go and figure that stuff out. Uh, that is that is correct. So in in, in the big world um, today, you got to be careful because you'll you'll meet knuckleheads like me that are probably on the opposing side. 
and you most likely don't have your ducks in order. The reason is why there's alias. We do, you know, forensics outside of security. Just we'll focus on alias forensics is because it's terrifying and there's a lot of legal stuff. And to kind of let you know, like even like me doing this now, working for the all the companies, including alias, I'm probably like 2,500 cases at this point. Um, attorney, an attorney probably works maybe 25 a year. So to kind of give you a scope of, of kind of how that works, 25 to 30 is a normal uh, caseload for an attorney for the year. And I'm at 2,500. So um, don't, don't do forensics unless you're ready. Maybe go to my training. You can go to my training. Sometimes I do it besides, but you know, you just got to be careful because you can definitely get caught up and it's, it's not a, it's not a good place to be. So that, because it, there's so many pitfalls, like uh, IT people, technology people, they, um, I don't know how I was able to click into that world, but there's so many gotchas and there's so many, um, so many ways you can get yourself in trouble because if you do something incorrect, it's not just you get in trouble because you forgot, you know, to hook up a, you know, something wrong. You forgot to run something on a computer. Um, you can be personally liable for that and sue. You, you can. They can sue you personally if you're incorrect. Oh, that's heavy. It, it is, and it's terrifying. That's why we, we are very cautious and very precise about our reports, especially when we have to go on the stand and talk to a judge in federal court and a judge in state court. Very terrifying. Uh, the longest I've been on the stand was 12 hours, and I hate it. I hate it. I think it's the worst thing ever, actually. I hate it. <laughs> oh, wow. All I can think of is the scene from Mr. Smith Goes to Washington where Jimmy Stewart's, you know, reading to try and prevent the bill from going through. But this is a little bit different story for you on the stand. Yeah. Let me ask this. When you were doing the digital forensics at that first place that asked you to, did the HR director, did he brief you on the landmines to watch out for? Or did you already step in it by the time he had come on the scene? No. So, so for, so what they wanted me to do, so I was able to, um, what I didn't realize at the time, the only thing we talked about chain of custody, which I was able to do because I read about it, which is basically like a biography about a hard drive. So I was able to write that down. I did the, it's called the forensic image, the DD. And after that I did my investigation, which is pretty good. After that, I didn't really know what to do. So I was able to, um, unintentionally, unknowledgeably protect myself from getting myself in trouble. I just knew that there was a chain of custody, who I got it from, and then do a, a DD. What what a lot of people mess up in when you typically do an investigation, you have some some do. You can do a physical, like an actual pristine copy, which is the OG, which is the original copy, and then you make a working copy. That way, when you're working with it, you can mess with it and. And if you mess them up, you can always go back to the original copy. So you have a little leeway to make some mistakes if you if you do. So I did that because I you know I read some form stuff and and way back then and and law enforcement was thoroughly upset. There was a leak of their digital forensic tool. It was called Coffee, and I did not download it ever, and I would never do that. But it was available online on I believe like Morpheus back in the day. And you could download coffee and you could see how forensics was utilized. I mean, obviously, that's just what I was told from a, a Google video back in the day before YouTube existed. It sounds like people should just continue to brew their coffee using water as the normal methodology. Exactly. I mean, maybe you're somebody who thinks cold brew is cool, but hot coffee is the way to go. I'll get off the soapbox. But. <laughs> <laughs> Did they then give you more digital forensics type work after that? Where did it go from there? Yeah, so so from actually from there, I think my my um 
my boss started throwing me all kinds of crazy stuff, just kind of building my career. And this is kind of out of the scope, but we had blackberries and he's like, Hey man, we're going to have blackberries and got this bed server. And I was like, man, I don't know about stupid cell phone. What are you talking about? I don't even, I don't even have a real cell phone. And, you know, I was past the flip phone, but I had this really bright Nokia that was just the most like brightest thing ever. And by the way, it lasted for four years. It's still actually charged today at 30% after 10 years. But, uh, but, you know, it's like uh, like I had a BlackBerry and they're like, hey, my one of my like VPs of, of the whole company was like, hey, man, can you put a timer in this? I was like, I have no idea, man. I, I, I don't know. And I found a timer and he thought I was like pure gold. He's like, you're the smartest person ever. I was like, no, I just I just I'm really good. at the, I'm really good at the Internet is really what I am. And I, and I appreciate I'm really appreciate all your your favor. But, you know, after that, you know, then they start moving me into um, it wasn't called security. Then everyone, you know, it was called basically it was more application support and, and it was a uh, kind of a, a, I'm bumping into networking, like a, almost like an apprentice. And I learned about how to turn off ports, which is great. And no one does that, by the way, if there's a office that's not used, no one's, no one turned those off. I turned them off. Right. And I learned like, okay, people can't plug in. That's good. Cause I had this one knucklehead that worked with me and he would always plug in his, his dang machine from home. And he'd always download some trash because our, our network was faster so I learned how to block his port <laughs> and I learned, also learned at that point about DHCP and I'd go through and see if there was a new lease and I'd be like, who leased a new IP? Oh, th- this guy again, I see you. I'd get that Mac address and I'd put it in, you know, the, the you know, Mac address lookup and I'd be like, this is not our, this is not a Dell, this is a Macintosh or a Toshiba and I would just, I would ban that Mac address, which I didn't know at the time. It, I was actually doing security. I was doing more aggressive security. And I learned about McAfee EPOs and updating signatures and malicious emails. Um, there was more spam back then than anything. Um, I think click like, you know, click malicious malware wasn't really in, it was more, um, you'd go to websites and get, get hit back then. I don't know why people didn't use email, which is, which is kind of weird that we still use that today, like to, to break into companies. It's almost like they're going back to like 1995. I was like, Oh man, it's like a cool exploit. Let's send emails. And, I don't, I don't think they thought people would be the weakest link, you know, even though the internet was open, you could tell that to anyone's environment back then. So very strange, very strange. And when we say port blocked, we're talking about physical wall jack that somebody plugs in an ethernet cable in case someone out there is wondering. Yeah. So I would go to the switch and just turn it off. Nice. Yeah. A lot of companies are locking those down for sure. Yeah. And, and I'm talking, you know, I'm talking like 2005 people are like, yeah, we should do that. It's like 2021. I'm like, yeah, you should should do that that makes sense <laughs> i've even seen the the usb locks i guess it's a little device you put in the usb ports on a computer so that nobody can plug in a random usb stick yes so and, and we have a few devices we have on that and i'm always paranoid as possible i should say professionally paranoid and if you have you have to have this little orange key that it goes in there and it has these little click 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 and then you can open it if you don't have that there's i've, I've tried to break it myself with a screwdriver and I didn't get in. I, I tried real hard because actually I was on site and it was kind of an emergency and I didn't have a key. So I ended up breaking them <laughs> on the board, but <laughs> yikes! they work really well. <laughs> so you got into the network side of things. You, you got into doing a little more of what we call security today. And yeah. did that make you, did that make you start looking for something in that space or are we not quite there yet in the journey? Well, you know, because I started getting to servers, understanding, oh, I talked about DHCP, 
Um, I talked about active, I, I learned about active directory and stuff like that. And, um, OUs and GPOs and stuff like that. Um, man, I thought it was hilarious that I could like, Again, it didn't start like security. It was all like a joke. Like it was more like, hey, man, this is like for the lulls. Like when you do IRC back in the day and you do ping of death, it's not because like I knew what a DDoS was or a ping of death. It was just because it was funny. Right. Um, even and I, I, I forgot I should take a way step back back in the day. Um, as you guys probably know, there's a there's a tool called Sub7 um, that a lot of us use back in the day. It was one of the first hacker tools. Um, that you could infect some people's machines, but I never did that. It was just what I was told by my friends. And you could open their cup holder, air quotes, and it would open the CD-ROM. This is just what I was told. I have no idea. Um, but yeah, you could you could turn on their microphones. You could do screen captures, um, and this was transmitted over a. Um, a it was a, it was a gift that people would send to each other. It was like a frog that was in a blender, and you could click it. But it was actually some Stego backend rootkit stuff. Um, and you could pass that in an email and that's what I was told, you know, I would, I would never do that. Um, but, uh, you could send that to people and you could open their, um, cup holders, which was, which was a funny term for a CD-ROM. So kind of understanding that, like me just understanding that like it was kind of a joke. Um, I say a joke. It was almost like, I know more than you and I'm not trying to do it to like be malicious. It's like a prank. So all my team was uh, at Summer Day was giving me a hard time about something. So I stuck them in an OU group and I changed their backgrounds to like My Little Pony. And and what I did, I made sure that that, that, that that group update, the GP update, updated every three seconds. So every time they changed it, it was just change it back all the time. So it was always checking in and, and stuff like that. It wasn't that I like got in security. I was like, man, there's a lot of power in, on the <laughs> IT side. So it just became like a gigantic prank and, and a joke. And then everyone's like, oh, my gosh, like hackers can use this. Even what I'm talking about is the exact same thing that the um, the hackers did to Sony when they put the backgrounds of the skull and bones and they had the um, the CEO in, in hell. Technically, it was like he was in hell. I don't know if you guys seen that. Check it out. So Sony CEO in hell. They put this on everyone's background. All they did, they just took over the AD and, and put everyone in a GPO to just change their background, their desktops, their desktop and just kept pushing that on the domain. It sounds pretty scary, but I mean, they could have, you know, I mean, you could have put their, you could have put the company logo as as the desktop. So that's kind of how I started really getting the security. But it it wasn't even called that then. It didn't it didn't exist. It was more like um, I can get in this telnet because I just know it. Um, default admin admin. Um, it, it's very strange. It's almost kind of kind of makes me kind of sit back and think about it. It was it was really wild west. You mentioned some forums that you're a member of in the early days. Were there other places you looked to go talk to people who were doing the same sort of thing? So, so back in the day, there was a security security corp news groups, um, which doesn't exist anymore. But I was I was a part of that. Um, again, the forensic focus. Um, there was a um, there was a I think that was it was a, a hackers elite hackers elite. Uh, something like this, but I didn't really kind of know what a hacker was. I would go there to ask for help. Um, it was a forum uh, back in the day. It was like hackerselite.org um, that I would go there and ask for help. Um, but yeah, man, that, that, I mean, forum, like you got to like log in and that's where, you know, it, it's so funny. If you guys know what a forum is, like, I'm, I'm sorry that I'm that old, but it was, it was, I feel like everyone in those were actually a really, it was a really good non-toxic community and everyone was actually really there to help. Because every time you could help, you'd get this little up arrow and you, you know, you get some like cool credentials and you become like a mod or, 
or, you know, like a super user and, and really get some respect in the community because it was such a niche area. Yeah, that absolutely makes sense. I noticed that you eventually transitioned into an information security manager. So what's the transition from where you're talking about now into that? Yeah, so there was a there was a stint when I went from there. I went to Chesapeake Energy, and I actually um, I did a big jump. Uh, be honest, I told my employer, I said, "Hey, man, like Chesapeake Energy is paying like people like way more than I'm getting. I'm like doing network and server." And I was like, "Their their their help desk guys makes like 15 grand more than me." And he's like, "Well, then just go apply." And I was like, "All right." So I went and applied, and I got a job. <laughs> and and he was just like. Man, out of my 10 years, I've been a manager. No one's ever called me on it. And and I can't believe you're leaving. I was like, yeah, man, you got two weeks. So I'm out of here. So I went over there as a contractor. Um, I did desk side support. Um, I, managed, I mean, I was a contractor, but I, I wonder, I mean, I want to make more money. I was, you know, I was, I was in my life. I mean, I got four kids. I'm trying to, I got a lot of, I got a mouse, mouse are growing. You know, I got to make that money. And um, I was, there as a contractor and I got hired on and then quickly, there was a position open for a forensics kind of security analyst. And I was like, Oh my gosh, I, I, I've done this. I've done this. At, I've done this at Slumberjay actually quite a few times. And no one, they said they couldn't find anybody. They looked forever. No one had any forensic skills. And I came in with, again, no degree. There was only three people at the time at Chesapeake that had no degree. And I was one of them. And that was their biggest thing for hiring me on because I did not have a degree. They were able to get over their um, <clears throat> degree problem. And hired me on. That's how I came up, based kind of full time forensics and security analyst at uh, Chesapeake Energy. Did you have to have any sort of special security background clearance or anything like that to do the job? No, I didn't. And, and, I, and I worked a lot with the the upper echelon to protect the company. I mean, I just I just protect the company. Worked a ton of litigation, um, a ton of lawsuits. So I did a lot of you know forensic collections. Um, you know, I learned about, you know, work with the security team on how, you know, if someone broke in the company, we had malware, how do we hunt that down? I mean, back then that was when Chesapeake, I say it all the time. That's when Chesapeake was cool. <laughs> so uh, we were, we were, you know, it was, it was a pretty competitive environment. We had a lot of really good talent there. Um, and I, and I learned a lot and, uh, kind of from there to kind of short that I'll kind of jump in. Um, I kind of grew out of that role, um, and uh, moved on, and I set up the forensics and security lab at Loves Travel Stops, and I only say this because it's on my um, LinkedIn. And then um, grew that um, from they they needed a lot of help. They're doing I don't know where they're at now, but I'm assuming they're doing really good. They uh, one of my biggest claims to fame there. Um, one of my homeboys, Sean Satterley. I hope you listen to this, you, you punk. Uh, so Sean Satterley, if you guys don't know, he he is he's this like super elite hacker, like OG. Like uh, 2,700, again, I don't know if, like, I'm, I'm spitting some, like, security talk here. I met him there. I didn't know of him. I kind of knew about him. And he was he was doing a, a pin on one of the places I work for, which I can't talk about. Some place could have been some, you know, remote or contract company. And uh, I saw we were getting, like, like, something was happening, and I was able to isolate the issue, and I was quick act, and I blocked it, and I grabbed his Mac, and I blocked him out from, like, blacklisted it. And I started seg- segmenting the network off. And then all of a sudden, like I had 10 people come up behind me and they were like, they were like, hello. And I was like looking backwards and I was like, yeah, what's up? I'm working an incident. And they're like, and Sean goes, congratulations, you blocked me. And he's like, you're the, he's like, you're the first person out of over a hundred pen tests that has stopped me. I'm like, okay, I don't know who you are. Why are you in my environment? Cause I, cause they didn't tell me, they did not tell me they were doing a pen test. 
and I was able to stop him. And since then, if you guys check on LinkedIn, he likes a lot of my stuff. I'm, I'm a good blue team, purple team is kind of where I started. He's a super red teamer. He's he's such an old gangster. If you guys you should guys look him up, Sean Satterley. He's such a he's such a really he's such a smart guy. But that's how when I kind of upgraded my my skill set for sure. And when you say pen test, that's penetration test. Somebody is actively trying to hack into the company in some way, right? Whether break in, like you said, physically or hack into the systems. Yeah, and they even threw him a bone because they let him in the door and they let him plug in. So he he had he had a, I feel like he had an ante up on me. So it's not like he was coming from the Wi-Fi, but but yeah, exactly. You kind of come in, you plug in, and you start doing some stuff, and hopefully your blue team, which is your um, security team internally, can see that there's a rogue rogue node on the network, and you better start blocking because it's about to get really weird real fast because um, all your data is about to be stolen. Wow, how did it feel to? To say that you blocked that attack, it was good. I didn't. I didn't know. Yeah, I didn't know who he was at the time. I didn't. I didn't know. I was actually very confused. And then, like, and then someone kind of brought me down, and explained what was happening because I, even at that point, which would have been like 2011 ish, I didn't really know what all that meant. Kind of, I knew what a pen test was, but I hadn't seen it like that. Um, they were definitely at a high level. Um, and even there's a few people that. Uh, uh, JT, um, he's a guy out of Denver, a good guy that he worked for a big company out of Denver, and also Christina. That they, I mean, they're, they're my people. That's when I started getting into um, all of that. It was it was pretty exciting. Um, and even around that time, again, whatever company I was working for, a contract company or another employer that I had that may or may not be on LinkedIn, um, that was when I got um, introduced to ransomware for the first time. Um, that was really interesting. This was one of the first big time ransomwares. Infrastructure was ransomware. And, uh, and I'm like, yeah, man, like we have to like, cause we didn't, no one believed like, you know, server teams back then, you didn't want to put anything on the box because it's going to slow down, yada, yada, yada. And I was like, dude, if we don't have AV on the, on the, like the exchange box, dude, we're ruined. They're like, if we do that, it's going to scan everything and it's going to slow everything down and mail latency, blah, blah, blah. I was like, Hey man, that's cool. I got a lot of emails. I told you like four times I'm okay with this. And then we got ransomware. So everything's getting encrypted, and uh, and then everyone's like talking to me. I was like, "Oh, you're gonna bring me in now?" Because I was a security guy. I was like, "What are you guys gonna do?" They're like, "I guess we're gonna pay." I was like, "Sweet, who's who's gonna put down that debit card to pay them?" And, and everyone's like, "I don't, I don't know, man." So what I told them to do is, I said, "How many okay. Bitcoin?" So I don't think it was it wasn't Bitcoin back then. Okay, it was it was. It was I mean, you're right. It was it was, it was, it was they wanted the you guys know the green card like the. The cash green card uh, from Walmart, I figure it was called something green. Again, I, I don't know. People use it all the time. You basically go, yeah, you go in there and you exchange cash and put it on like a card. Uh, I forget what, green spot or something like that. Anyway, um, it was pretty wild. Um, I think what they won at the time, I think it was around 40 grand, which would have been totally worth it considering the industry that was that was interrupting. Um and but, but but even back then, uh, you know, those attackers didn't know they had they had very little information about what they were attacking. Then they just knew that they had something. And uh, yeah, so uh, what we did is how we fixed that at that time because they had good backups. Was we didn't know what machine out of I don't know five thousand machines was infected. And just so you know how ransomware works, once one machine is happening, anything share that it touches, it encrypts. It just it, whether it's a USB stick or it's a share or it's an external hard drive, it 
bro. It's encrypted. Like it's over. So I told the the server team, I said, hey, okay, so let me get these IPs where it's going. I'm going to block this in the firewall. We're going to go to the NAS. And anytime a change is made, we're going to turn off everyone's access. But if a change is made, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to do a restore. Boom, boom, boom. So that way we can see what machine's touching and we'll know that's an infected node. And if it's an infected node, we'll have our desktop unplug it and then we'll kind of clean from bottom up. It was, it was, it was a, it was a very long week nightmare, but we did it. Wow. It was good. So, so security, security was, was cool, man. And then it's, it's like super gunslinging for me. It's, uh, I work very well under pressure. It's very exciting under pressure too. It sounds like you really like the dynamic nature of whatever challenge gets thrown your way and that the security type problems really fit in that sphere. Yes. And, and, uh, you know, and this is just me again, please recognize that I'm a, I'm a serial entrepreneurial. So I've had a total of five businesses at this point. What I realize is what I don't like is I don't like to go into a company um, I'll get in there and everything's kind of disarray. And then after everything is running well, I hate it. It's super boring. I, I, I'm losing it. I, I just can't, I can't handle it when everything's peaceful, which is very strange. Um, but that's, that's, that's in my nature. Uh, and that was kind of when I moved into the, to the, um, to the uh, company, which was NTT security out of Tokyo. Um, how to, I didn't initially, I, I became, I became a senior. And when I came on there, I laughed forever because I was like, I was like, I'm ready to go. And they're like, sweet. Um, you ready to do incident response? I was like, yes, I love it. So we're talking, coming from the ransomware. I was like, and they said, okay, we have six cases. And I was like, wait, six? They're like, yeah, we have six companies that are compromised right now. And I'm like, okay. So so I buckled up and, and took care of it, made my own lab and kept that going. And, and I should also say at the same time, I was also running alias at the same time. I mean, no, I was running alias later as it came through. Um, uh, so, it, so me taking uh, uh, taking that information, like during incident response, um, I also had opportunity at that place to learn about um, kind of pen testing, like a little further on the red team, how that works, um, how to secure a company, and then kind of just you know dipping back in, uh, jumping into. At that point, um, I was traveling a lot. I had more kids, um, and I was like, man, I just got to be home. I got to build this, and. Um, I kind of jumped both feet in and it was, it was pretty terrifying, if you will, jump both feet in and uh, kind of got alias going. So uh, it was, it was, it was terrifying. It was absolutely terrifying because, because at the time uh, I just knew how alias was running um, with, with uh, Andrew's kind of the, the one of the OGs, uh, Andrew Nolan. And uh, we didn't have enough money to pay me. And it was like, well, do I, you know, do some contracting still, or do I uh, come on full time? And I said, you know what, this is it. I'm going to do it. And I jumped. And uh, that year we grew like, I don't know, like 150%. <laughs> Not that we were making a lot, but we grew a lot that year. And it was, it was, it was pretty glorious. So this started out as some contracting on the side after you built a lot of skills in your day job. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It, it was a hobby. Really. I really enjoyed just a hobby. It was just fun, you know, um, it was kind of, it was a side gig and I really liked it because I felt like there was some justice there. I talked about it earlier. I feel like people were getting convicted for stuff they didn't do. And, you know, with all respect to, you know, all the entities, you know, we have actually, I personally have um, been able to prove at least four people um, that the FBI um, and the OSBI in Oklahoma and the local PD 
said they did something and they did not and approved it in court. And those people were going to jail for the rest of their lives. And I feel good about saying that we saved their life and saved their family. Yeah, that's fantastic. Kudos to you for getting the truth out there. No, I would say just, that, that stuff can get pretty, get pretty deep. I, I mean, I'll, I'll even give everyone a small example. Like, what are you talking about, Donovan? Poor people go to jail. Just out, I'm just letting you guys know. Like, I'm just, I mean, I've worked a lot of cases. Just, just let you know. I'm not cheap at all. I'm not the cheap. I'm never the cheapest. I worked a case and this was out of, you guys can look this up. I always forget everyone's name because I don't remember it, but it's out of, it's out of Comanche County, Oklahoma. Um, a gentleman uh, got indicted by the FBI and the Lawton PD. And I only speak of this because it is open record. So I'm not disclosing anything that's not available to the public right now. Long story short, they said he downloaded something um, that he did not. If you can imagine whatever the most horrendous stuff you could imagine he would have downloaded, he's alleged of that. That's what they said he downloaded. We did an investigation. We didn't find anything. We found a CD riddled of this stuff that you could imagine would be terrible. We call it CP. And uh, I said, well, who downloaded this? And the FBI said, we did. I said, from where? They said, from this IP address. I was like, okay, well, let's talk about this IP address. Um, long story short, um, the FBI and Lawton PD had a difficulty understanding what a static and a dynamic IP address was. Um, they thought that this uh, resident um, had a, a static IP address, I guess, for his residence for four years. Um, so you guys, if you don't know, ISPs do not um, give static IPs to residents unless they literally pay for it, which would be stupid because businesses do that, right? Once we dig in, I made the ISP, like they got the information from the ISP. They said it was this guy, and I demanded we get a real time. At this point, when you investigated, let's get this down. This guy lost his job. He worked at um, a tire facility for 22 years, something like that. He was a manager. He lost his 401K. Um, he lost his friends. He got death threats. Um, he lost, he lost all his 401k paying attorneys and he started working at seven 11. And after about a year and a half, two years, we were able to go to court and show that he was not him. And we actually had the ISP say, Oh, I'm sorry, my bad. Here's who did it. And this guy name is something wolf. And we looked where Mr. Wolf is and Mr. Wolf was in jail for, um, uh, possession of CP and the case was dismissed. Wow. And the dude lost his entire family and his, his savings and his job. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So so a lot of people like get upset that we, you know, I say buck the system, but the best witness is the data. That's a great point. Has no emotions. It doesn't care about the judge. It doesn't care about the DA. It doesn't care about the client. It doesn't care about the attorneys. It has tells you the truth. That's why I like to bring yeah, just the facts, ma'am, right? Just the facts. It's easy. It's easy for me. And I tell them all the time, you know, attorneys kind of give me a hustle sometimes. They're like, well, aren't you getting paid for this, for your opinion? I was like, nope, nope. Guess what? I get paid the exact same whether this person goes to jail forever or whether they're free forever. So I don't. it doesn't matter to me. It's what the computer says. That's what I'm here for. Again, it's the best witness.
tell you what, John, we've had some folks who have mentioned getting fired before and how that impacted them. That happened to Donovan as well. You know, Brad Christian talked about it back, I think, in episode 113 about how that impacted his career. Donovan had a situation where he got fired, and uh, I know that that was maybe somewhat due to being a little rough around the edges at the time, but he certainly grew as a result. Uh, One of my favorite parts was when he called his manager's bluff, the manager that told him, oh, go go get a job at that company if you want. Go interview. And he's like, okay. And he did. (laughs) Yeah. What about the stopping the pen test story? Oh, man. He stops this person he doesn't know is trying to break into the company. And all he can think to say is like, I don't know why you're here. Why are you in my office? Why are you on my network? You know, get out of here. I don't care who you are. You know, he was in the zone trying to trying to protect Fort Knox, if you will. I thought that was fantastic. Yeah, that was a great story. I think the thing that um, that I kind of walked away from was he kind of grew into the industry while it was, you know, kind of in the Wild West phase. And things are a little bit more formalized now and We'll kick off the uh, the next interview uh, with him talking a little bit more about his recommend- recommendations about getting in the security industry now. With that in mind, uh, anything else before we get out of here? One thing I'll say, I really like the story of him getting handed this forensics project and having to figure it out. I think there are probably a lot of IT generalists out there who can sympathize with needing to do that because they were the technical person at their company who knew enough to get the information, work with HR, maybe they had to work with the local police, but I haven't, I don't think I've had anybody that I worked with had to go testify that I can recall. Yeah, I've definitely been in the situation where, you know, you get asked to figure something out, right? That's part of the, uh, part of the gig when you're, when you're a journalist, but you know, something that specific, something where there's a, a legal case involved, you know, that that's pretty uh, that's pretty major. Definitely heavy. Just a reminder, we want people to subscribe and give us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. We want to know if we're being helpful and are always looking for interesting questions to ponder. We're collectively on Twitter at Nerd Journey. All right. Farewell, listeners, and tune in next time as the journey continues. I'm John White, at Journeyman, for Nick Cordy, at Network Nerd Underscore, signing off.